So I'm going to do my best to keep this introduction short because there's a lot in this text. And some of the things we're going to see this morning is this passage shows us the great plan of the Father and the great love and definite intimate knowledge of Christ for his sheep and the length that he goes to for them. The thing that Jesus says five times in this passage. Remember, I've told you many times when Jesus repeats himself, we pay attention. In this passage, he says five times, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is not accidental that he mentions this five times. He doesn't have a short memory. and He keeps bringing this up because he doesn't remember what he just said. He says it for emphasis because our good shepherd His greatest quality is that he laid down his life for the sheep and is essential to who Christ is and is essential to the Christian life because Christ laid down his life for us. We as Christians daily are reminded to lay down our lives, to lay down our connection to ourselves, our pride, our flesh, everything that exalts us higher than Christ, we lay it down. We daily pick up our cross and follow him. And it is only because he went before us that we can do that. And as he laid down his life to die to sin, we as believers every day must be cognizant of our need to die to our sin, to put to death in us that reminds us of the old self. And this is figuratively speaking, the charge of every husband in scripture to lay down his life for his wife. Love her as Christ loved the church, so much so that he would die for her. This is the charge of every disciple of Christ, that we would lay down our lives. What makes us comfortable, our identity apart from Christ for the sake of one another. This is the charge, like Christ, the chief shepherd of every pastor, to lay down his life for the flock. And there is no greater sobering, humbling feeling than to see my example as Christ as a shepherd and realize if I'm called to shepherd God's flock, am I called to do it in some worldly expectation or am I called to do it like Christ? And thinking about this this week, every time Jonathan comes up here and prays and says, Pastor Tim, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like like Jay took over for a moment and and that, that realization, you are called to lay down your life for those who Christ has died for. Lay down your comfort and your predictability. And that is one of the Christian life. Not seeking our own glory, not seeking our own comfort, knowing that we've been sought and bought by a shepherd who cares more about our, our eternal comfort than anything this world has to offer. And this cause to lay down our lives is literally taken up by thousands of faithful martyrs throughout history who have said that proclaiming the name of Christ is more important than my very life. I would rather die than renounce my Savior. There are many believers around the world today, almost every day, who must do that, who must decide between the very breath in their lungs And the breath that utters the name of Jesus Christ. And so 
as we look at one of the most significant analogies in Scripture of Christ as a shepherd and the most significant attribute of Christ that he lays down his life, it is so important, yet it is also richly theological. And so this is one of those texts this morning, it may feel a bit like a seminary class. And I'm going to try to feed it to you without choking you on it, but it is important that we walk through this. And every word of Jesus is used intentionally and should be studied and considered, especially where he repeats himself. And so what we're going to do as we walk through this, as always, when we're uncertain of what Scripture says, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so we will see what what Scripture as a whole says about what Jesus is teaching us here, and especially on what he's already taught us in John. Chapter 6 especially sets us up really well for chapter 10. So we will begin in chapter 10, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read through. We will pray and we'll walk through it together. John 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And there is again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he is a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? Indeed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, no one gives you authority because all authority is yours. No one gives you power because all power is yours. No one gives you knowledge because all knowledge is yours. No one gives you love because all love is yours. Thank you that in your authority over your creation, you granted the authority and love of your son to be, to come to earth and die for wretched sinners like us. Sheep who want nothing more than to wander away from you. But you are good. You are excellent. You are mighty. You are beautiful in all of your ways. And you seek us and you buy us with a price that can never be repaid and a sum that can never be returned to become your sheep forever. Lord, thank you for the truth of this text. Let us rest in it. Let us find our hope in who you are. 
Not in things that we've heard, not in ways that we define ourselves, but in who you have declared yourself to be. Let us rest in your word and trust in the truth of of what you've declared to us. Let us lay down in the green pastures of our shepherd and rest. Because he has paid it all for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our beginning in verse 11. He begins with another strong I am statement. I am the good shepherd. So last week, I can't do a whole lot of recap here. So if you have not heard the message, it's on the website. Uh, We talked a lot about the nature of shepherding and sheep. But everything we talked about last week where Jesus is speaking generally about what it means to be a shepherd and the analogy he uses that would have been uh, familiar to them, but not to us. Everything we learned last week, Jesus is now saying, that's me. I am the good shepherd, not just a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The Greek here is definitive, uh, but we, we can't say that in English. He says, I am the shepherd, the good. As if you, you didn't know, not a shepherd. I am the shepherd, the good one. And this word in English just falls so flat. There are two main words we see in the Greek New Testament for good. One is kind of moral attributes and just general goodness. But this one is more specific. This one is not simply goodness, but beauties and excellencies. So we can read this and say the excellent shepherd. I am the excellent shepherd. I am the best shepherd. I am the height of goodness. Everything that you think of as good and beautiful and wonderful and excellent, that's me. I mentioned several times that uh, we're going to go through some of the examples in Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he talks about good and bad shepherds. And the characteristics of good shepherds are good, healthy sheep that are protected, that have nice, shiny wool coats, and that are fattened on, on the good of the land. There are many bad shepherds who have these weakling sheep who look so sad and so pathetic. They're covered in bugs and they're dirty. They're skinny. They don't have a full wool coat on because they're not cared for. That's why it's important that he stresses here that I am the good shepherd. There are bad shepherds out there and we're going to look at those in just a moment. Those who don't care for the sheep. That is not me. I am the good shepherd. I care for the sheep. And how does he describe this? So when we think of goodness, we think of all of these, these moral qualities. He says, I'm the good shepherd. What does Jesus lead with when he talks about being the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, David is probably the best example of a good shepherd that we have in Scripture. It's a treacherous job. David was no joke. If you read First Samuel 17... David talks about, I've fought lions and tigers and bears. No tigers, but lions and bears. He, he, he literally speaks of grabbing a lion by the beard and beating him to death. It's a bad man. He is willing to fight lions on behalf of his sheep. But he never had to lay down his life. Never to the point of death. Our best example of a shepherd still falls short to our good and excellent shepherd in Christ. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is a voluntary word. 
It is literally, tithemi is to put down or to place down. I take my life and I set it down. Five times he says that. The voluntary nature of the way that Christ sacrifices himself for the sheep. This literally is on behalf of the sheep. My life for yours. I set my life down for the sheep. We can also read this as, I set my life down instead of the sheep. I died the way they should have. Those are going to get a little theological here. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. That means that the atoning blood, the blood that was required for sins, a covering of sins to reconcile one to God, is substituted. The blood of Christ for the blood of the sheep. I lay down my life, my blood, instead of yours. This is what Jesus is declaring here. That's what the sacrificial shepherd does. I literally give my life for your sake. This is incredible. This is our shepherd. This is what goodness looks like. I will lay down my life for the benefit of others. Peter catches on to this really well on 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Same language, same concept. Peter's letter, 1 Peter, is a great encouragement to the church because when the church is being persecuted, when the church is being pressed, he gives them hope. What is their hope rooted in? That he himself, Christ the good shepherd, bore our sins, laid down his life on their behalf, and by his wounds, by his substitutionary atonement, You have been healed. Go on. What does he connect it to? For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This analogy goes throughout scripture. The shepherd and overseer of our soul, because we are like sheep. These dumb animals who go tuft of grass to tuft of grass, who will literally walk themselves off of a cliff without a shepherd. And he dies for us. His life for ours. Our sin for his righteousness. In a substitutionary manner where we become holy and he becomes sin on the cross so that we might live. Do not gloss over this. He lays down his life for the sheep. I could spend the entire sermon on this verse and not scratch the surface. But I will resist the temptation for your sake. And I want you to get this, though, because Jesus is not just simply good because he tells good stories or does good things. Many people try to minimize Jesus. Well, I can take out all that declaring to be God and dying on the cross stuff. I'll just take the good stories and the good deeds. Well, who cares? If he just tells good stories and just does good deeds, but he doesn't lay down your life, you're dead. And you can never live without his blood. He's good because he gives his life that the sheep might live. That's why he's good. And all that other stuff is just appetizer. He's good, not like the hired hand in verse 12. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees. So there's a couple of things to kind of look at here. First, a hired hand. He's not the shepherd. This, is a, this was a common practice. If the shepherd was sick or the shepherd had multiple flocks, he would hire someone, a hired hand, someone who was watching the sheep for a paycheck. You think the person who's just there for a paycheck is going to take good care of the sheep? The person who has no ownership in the sheep? We know this to be true. If you have no ownership, you have no responsibility, the first sign of danger, you're out of there. So we must be very careful for those who are just in it for the money. And there are many people who are acting like shepherds who are really just hired hands waiting for a paycheck. The moment things get difficult or the moment danger comes to the sheep, they flee. Because they don't care. Why should they? They're not theirs. They're just in it for the money. And that's the picture that Jesus is, is painting here. And we're a couple weeks removed, but don't forget that the Pharisees are still in the picture. This is still right after the, the blind man who receives his sight and the Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. The, the sheep they were supposed to be caring for, they care more about their pride and their position than that this man has received his sight. So this is in the same breath, in the same context. So he says, number one, that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. We want to see the repeated words of Jesus. Ownership is a theme that comes throughout this entire passage. One who owns the sheep. This is a deliberate analogy. There is no ambiguity here. Jesus does not throw around words like owners of the sheep for no reason. Because of the nature of sheep, there are no independent sheep out there. There's no sheep out there wandering around uh, taking applications for the next good shepherd. Sheep are not comparing shepherds like we compare religions in social clubs. They're not out there looking for someone to own them and someone to take good care of them. They don't know any better. They are bought. Once sheep are bought, they can only be born into the fold. No sheep is out there wandering into someone else's fold. That does not exist. So this analogy must be carried through. The good shepherd owns the sheep. They are his. There is no mystery here. And the particularity of this language is important. Especially when we get to talking about him laying down his life. The good shepherd is not waiting to find out if the sheep will come and seek him or not. The shepherd knows who are his. He owns them. If anyone does the seeking, it's the shepherd. Um, I love what Philip Keller says about this, about what it means to be owned by a good shepherd. I have to read it in his words because I think it helps draw this together. So speaking of this very phrase, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He says this. So there remains the moving realization that we have been bought with a price, that we are really not our own. And he is well within his rights to lay claim upon our very lives. He says, I recall quite clearly how in my first venture with sheep, the question of paying a price for my use, E-W-E-S, was so terribly important. They belonged to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the literal blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. And when I bought that first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. 
Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were, in very truth, a part of me and I a part of them. There was an intimate identity involved, which, though not apparent on the surface or to the casual observer, nonetheless made those 30 U's exceedingly precious to me. But the day I bought them, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which, uh, from then on, I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them. Just take care of them, excuse me. Sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. You must lay down your life for a sheep in order for it to flourish and prosper. They require more than any other class of livestock. Endless attention and meticulous care. This analogy, again, is not by accident. It is no accident, that he says, that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways as he will explain in further chapters, our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. From the lips of a shepherd, And so that is the contrast we're looking at between the good shepherd and the hired hand. Because the hired hand is this vivid picture of what happens when sheep are not properly cared for. What happens? He who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Uh, I've said many times that we're going to go back to Ezekiel 34. This is exactly the problem in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34... The Lord's uh, charge against Israel is of these false shepherds. And see if you see any parallel language here. Ezekiel 34, we're going to read just 5 and 6, but we will come back here again later. This is one of those passages we'll probably look at again next week. So familiarize yourself with Ezekiel 34. It's real helpful in understanding this, this parallel. So Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 5. He has already tell, he's already prophesied against the shepherds of Israel. And what is the result of having bad shepherds, hired hands? The sheep, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. The hired hand flees when trouble comes. This is an example of we will see your true character when trouble arises. We'll see your real concern for the task at hand when, when difficulty comes. And every, every time we see a wolf uh, described in Scripture, it's a picture of, of someone who, if you've never seen a, a wolf stalk sheep, it's fascinating. Sheep are dumb, but wolves are brilliant creatures. A wolf will stand at a distance and circle, and watch, and observe. And he will pick out the patterns of the sheep. The, the wolf knows where the leaders of the sheep are. He will move to the, to the rear of, of the hood, to get, of, the, of the, the flock, to get the, the, the weak ones. Wolves will move quietly. They will move stealthily. Um, 
And many times the sheep will not know until the wolf is right up upon them. This is such a picture of the body, of the, the, the church. Because the wolves scout out what's going on within the body. And the wolves can sneak right up to the sheep and they don't even know. Last week we looked at Matthew 7 where Jesus says that many are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves can disguise themselves as sheep, but they're never good for the flock. The hired hand doesn't care. When the wolf comes in, he runs and the sheep get snatched. So when sheep are led astray by false shepherds, they become prey for the wolves. The sheep may be attacked and sifted, if you will, by the wolves. This is an interesting word here. They're, they're, they're snatched and scattered. They're not devoured. They're not eaten. The sheep of Christ cannot be eaten by, by the wolves, but they can be tested for a moment. Like Jesus told Peter, I won't let Satan sift you. There is a time when if you are led astray by a false teacher or a false doctrine, or if you isolate your, your, yourself, you may, be, you may be snatched up for a time. Satan may have some work in your, your life because you've separated yourself from the flock. You've followed a false shepherd. But as we've seen in Ezekiel, those who are scattered, the Lord will bring back. But for a time, they'll be snatched and scattered. The ones that are, that, that are scattered, the Lord always brings back. Excuse me, the Lord always brings back. No one can ever snatch them out of his hand. We will see that next week. So by point of contrast, he goes back to the good shepherd. Now that you know what a good shepherd looks like and what a false shepherd looks like, let me continue with the good shepherd analogy. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Two aspects of a good shepherd. One, I lay down my life. Two, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, the sacrificial nature and the knowledge of the sheep and shepherd. There is no such thing as sheep and shepherd who do not know each other. There are no, there's no such thing in sheep and shepherd who are waiting to find out who each other are like some, you know, some blind dating game. There is definitive knowledge of the sheep and of the shepherd. That's why he repeats himself. I know my sheep. They know me. And look at the next word he uses. I know my own. Ownership language. I know them and I own them. This is possessive. Look back to verse three. When he says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought uh, all his out, all his own, he goes before them again. There's definitive sheep and a definitive shepherd. This picture that we looked at last week, in the evening, uh, there would be a, a fold where many, sheep, or many shepherds would have uh, multiple flocks and they would all sleep in safety of this rock formation with a single door. But in the morning when the shepherd came, the shepherd would call his sheep. His sheep and only his sheep would walk out and follow him. He knows them. He owns them. They know his voice. There is no uncertainty with Jesus. There is no confusion. He is the good shepherd of his sheep. Not every sheep and not the goats. Of his own. This is going to come back in a moment of why this is important. But 
I mentioned last week, and it's important to mention again, human shepherds have seen stories of shepherds who literally name their, their sheep. This is Betty, and this is Gloria, and this is Laura. They literally name them. They, they know them by name, and they know them by voice. Have you ever heard a sheep speak? It only cries. There is nothing beautiful that comes out of the mouth of a sheep. But the shepherd can be blindfolded and know the unique cry of each sheep because of the intimacy and the knowledge that they have with them. Kind of like a mother, right? If you're out with your child and you hear a cry, you, you know the cry of, of, of your child. Ten kids could be crying, but you will pick out the one that is yours. Just like kids. If any of you grew up like, like me when you're out playing and you did something wrong and it's time for you to come home, you, you heard, you heard a, a call, like time to come in. Okay, I know that voice. There is a knowledge between parent and child. There is a knowledge between sheep and shepherd. And if we know that humanly speaking, how much more should we understand the knowledge of our shepherd knowing our voice? How much more should we know the voice of the shepherd? How much more should we know that our father knows us and hears our little pathetic cries? So he goes on. Verse 15 I don't want to look at this in two separate sections, even though these are two verses. This is one thought. Listen, follow Jesus' train of thought here. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. You see this little bookend here? It begins with Christ and the sheep, then the father and back to Christ. So he's doing two things here. He's comparing him and the sheep. He's comparing him and the father, and then he's equating the two. And Jesus is the common denominator between the shepherd and the sheep and the father and the son. I know my own. They know me. The father knows me and I know the father. You think that's important? Jesus says it four times. I know. They know. He knows. I know. It's important. And this, this word is not just facts. Like I know Aaron Rodgers. I know about him, but I've never met him. This is intimate knowledge. This is an experiential knowing. I not only know about you, but I know you. I've, I've sat in your presence. I know your voice. You know mine. Four times Jesus says this. And what's even more amazing is those two little words that connect 14 and 15. Just as I know my sheep, they know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Like, is anyone else amazed by that? That he speaks of knowing us in the same definitive way he knows the Father. The Trinitarian communion that has existed between Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity is the only adequate analogy to be used to how we know Christ. Think about our union with Christ in those those terms. The only thing that scratches the surface of how we are to be connected to our Savior is the way the Father and the Son are connected. This is mind-blowing. Just as... It is so profound, so spiritual, so heavenly, so intimate that nothing else can even compare this indescribable union between us and Christ. But he doesn't stop there. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. 
he says it again, but now this is in connection with knowledge. Now we've got to bring all this together. He lays down his life and he knows them in the same breath. He's not laying his life down for someone he doesn't know. He knows them. He's laying his life down for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. This is important. Because Jesus did not die in vain. He did not shed his blood to cover sins for those who do not know him, who hate him. This doctrine bothers a lot of people. We call this particular redemption or limited atonement. I died for the ones who know me and I know. You know, you know the closeness of the ones I died for? As close as me and the Father are, those are the ones I died for. You make this anything other than that and Jesus died in vain for people who hate him and want to kill him. And now here's where it gets beautiful for us. So we've got this great plan of, of, of redemption and then it gets furthered. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This we've got to break down as well. This is very important for us to understand. I have, again, ownership language. I have. I want to make this distinction here. He's not saying that I have sheep who will be mine once they believe. It's not what he's saying. I have sheep who believe because they are mine. See the difference? I don't. These are not my sheep because they because they believe. They are my sheep. So then they believe I have other sheep. Let's let's work through this. I have other sheep. So this is Christ talking about the particular fold, which here is Israel. So within this fold, I will pull all of mine out. But I have other sheep in another fold. I already own them. They are already mine. You got to get this out of the gate first. We have, there's no picture in scripture anywhere of God being anxious on the edge of his seat waiting for sheep to choose the right shepherd. Nowhere. That is not the picture. Think about this. Our God is sovereign. Our God is all powerful. Our God is all knowing. He doesn't doubt who his sheep are. He's not under any confusion. And Jesus is God. Jesus is all powerful. Jesus is all knowing. He knows his sheep by name and he is never worried. He knows where they are and he knows in his timing they will come to him because he will call them by name. This is how strong our connection to our God is. Before you ever came to him, he knew you. You were his. At the appropriate time, he called you by name and your ears pricked up. A shepherd who hears his sheep and you came, the sheep who hears his shepherd and you came running. He says, I have other sheep. So the other sheep now, like I said, goes beyond Israel. This is the great grafting in of the Gentiles. And Isaiah 49, he says, it is too light of a thing that my grace should only go to Israel. My grace is greater than Israel, so it must go to all of the nations. And so we see this global nature of God's election. Not universal, but global. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, other sheep, not of this fold. This picture we get in the beginning of Acts. Jesus said, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. But in Acts 1.8, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, he tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses 
In Jerusalem, little circle. Judea, bigger circle. Samaria, half-breeds, bigger circle. To the ends of the earth. The gospel is to go out from Israel to all of the nations. This ripple in the water that will eventually touch all of the waters in the lake. I have other sheep not of this fold. All right, so I want to address something here because I've had people say this to me all the time. Um, there's this, this question of, well, how does that really work? How are we supposed to know? What does this, this look like? Uh, I'll just kind of give you a, a picture here, right? Think about this. There are people walking around every day, like sheep, going from tuft of grass to tuft of grass, just going through the motions, just wandering around. We don't know. But we know the master has some sheep out there. We're going to see that in Acts 18 in a moment. But they're going from tuft of grass to tuft of grass. They're owned by the shepherd. They do not pick their heads up until they hear the gospel, until they hear the master's voice. Oh, wait, that sounds familiar. That tugs at my heart. That's in my very DNA because this is my shepherd. I may have been lost from him for a while, but when I hear his voice, it pricks up. Um, You're in John now. Turn to Acts chapter 18. We're going to see a great example of this. It's the next book over to the right if you don't know your Bibles. I'm going to help you guys who are not familiar with them through your Bibles. I want you all to be proficient at finding things in Scripture. So the next book to the right, chapter 18, verse 5. So this is an exact scenario, a, a perfect parallel. Paul is in Macedonia, speaking to the Jews of Macedonia, that, that inner circle. When Silas and Timothy, so we're in Acts 18, chapter, or verse 5. So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Good for you, Paul. Testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. First to the Jews. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook off his garments. Said, forget you guys. Said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Sheep of the other fold. And he left them there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice. Great name. A worshiper of God. Definitely not Jewish. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, also not Jewish. The ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. If you have a red letter Bible, this would be in red letters. This is the words of Jesus. Listen to how Jesus draws this together. From the sheep of Israel to the sheep of the other fold, look what he says. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or, or, or excuse me, attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city who are my people. My sheep are out there. Don't be silent, because then when they hear the words, they will come. So Paul listened, and he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That has been my prayer for this city. From the moment the Lord brought me here, I know that you have sheep here, Lord. I know that you have people who have not come home to the fold yet. And I pray by our faithfulness that this would be a place where lost sheep would come home. So that brings me to the topic of evangelism. When we think about this other sheep of the shepherd and being owned by the shepherd, what does this do for our evangelism? The first thing it does, it takes all of the weight off of our shoulders. Because typically evangelism is this pressure that I must be more persuasive. I must have more more knowledge. If they don't believe, it's because of me. 
Let me let you off the hook. If they don't believe, it's because they're not sheep. And it's not up to you to be able to persuade someone or to convince someone into the kingdom. Evangelism is less trying to persuade people into the kingdom, but proclaiming Jesus Christ. And those who have ears to hear will recognize their, their citizenship and come to the Savior. So people will always inevitably ask me, well, how can I tell? Is this person elect? Is this person elect? How do I know? Simple. Those who respond to the gospel. Those who respond to the voice of the shepherd. They are his sheep. And we must be very careful not to put ourselves into the place of God. Because many of us try to do that. Many of us try to determine things from God's purview. Well, how do I know what God has determined from ages past? You're not God. Stop it. God knows. We are only called to proclaim. We don't separate sheep from goats. He does. They're his sheep. Remember, I told you we're going to build on John 6. Look what John 6 says, two chapters back, starting in verse 35. In this great conversation about Jesus being the bread of life, he says, I am the bread of life, chapter 6, verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said um, to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Why do you not believe? Who will believe? Please tell us, Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down to heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that have been given to me. Think sheep here. All that the Father gives me, sheep, I will lose none of them. Sheep, I will raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks down on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. Well, but what if my gospel presentation isn't good enough? What if I'm not talented enough? Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Is your drawing power stronger than the Father's? Don't think so. Um, Chapter 10. So this he says here, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in and they will listen to my voice. I must. This is something he has to do. Thinking in terms of John 6. I must bring them in. Why? Because the Father's given them to me. And my only desire is to do the will of the Father. I must do it. I must do it and I will do it. And when I bring them in, they will listen. Look at Jesus' words here. He's not wondering, well, when I bring them in, I hope they listen. I hope that they, they choose me. I hope they find me worthy enough. Jesus is not some teenage kid hoping his crush will have feelings on him, feelings for him. Jesus is saying, they are my sheep. They will listen and I must do this. Definitive language. So here's what I want you to hear and write this down if you need to. Our actions do not determine our nature. They prove it. Think about that. Our actions do not determine our nature. They prove it. They didn't respond in, and then prove who they were. They responded because of who they were. Just like by their fruits you shall know them. A tree does not become an apple tree because it grows an apple. It is an apple tree, therefore it grows an apple. In the same regard, we can think about it like this. We're not sinners because we sin. 
We sin because we are sinners. Our actions prove who we are. They don't determine it. So then think about it this way. We're not sheep because we believe. We believe because we're sheep. Let you meditate on that for a moment. We're not sheep because we believe. We believe because we're sheep and we will listen. If you don't believe me, Acts again. It'll be up on the screen. Chapter 13. Same situation. First, so the Lord has commanded us saying, this is in the context of the Gentiles being excited about hearing the message. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, speaking to Paul, that you may bring salvation or Christ, Paul as his emissary, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Look at this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Why did they rejoice? Because they were sheep. They didn't rejoice and then became sheep because they were the fathers given to the son. They were appointed to eternal life. So they become one flock under one shepherd. Back to Ezekiel 34. This is such a beautiful picture of the great unity of Jews and Gentiles. One sheep, excuse me, one shepherd, many sheep. So Ezekiel 34, let's, let's pull this together. And this is one of my favorite passages just because I like reading it. I like reading it out loud and I like yelling apparently. Look at this. Ezekiel 34 verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search out my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. On a day of clouds and thick darkness, I will bring them out from the peoples and will gather them from the countries, from the nations, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. That is our shepherd. Do you hear anything about the sheep in there? No. But what does he say about those sheep? Skip down to verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant David. House of David. House of Judah. The kingly line. Someone asked me this week, why is the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew important? Because Jesus is from the house of David. It is my king who I will set up as the one shepherd over my sheep. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Amen. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. So that there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason... The the Father loves me. I am fulfilling what I've been promising my people all along, that there will be one flock under one shepherd, and I will lay down my life for them. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Remember Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes up out of the water, 
What is the voice that John the Baptist hears? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Why was he pleased? Because he's just some hippie walking around talking about peace and love all the time? No, because he came to lay down his life for those that the the, the father had saved for him. The father's love is expressed in the son because he lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, father loves me. This is what love is. Many people love to say that God is love. But what they really mean is God is a really nice guy and God loves me as much as I love me. That's really what they say when they say God is love. But what does scripture tell us about God's love? This is love. That while we're still yet sinners, thank you, someone said it over there. Romans 5 eight. Christ died for us. We know the Father's love because while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen? That is the love of the Father. Jesus shows the love by laying down his life for the sheep. This is the good shepherd's purpose. Not just to heal or tell stories, but to die. So that, even more important here, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Even more important, death is not the end. He's not just laying his life down. Don't ever stop at the death of Christ. This is voluntary language. I lay my life down. I take it back up again. This is my doing. This is what I desire to do. No one, verse 18, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Many of you know this great hymn of the early church in Philippians 2. Now I'd be remiss if I did not read it. So Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Philippians 2, 5 says this. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is yours? Who, though he was in the form of God, meaning God, do, he, um, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't want to hold on to it. He could have. He had every right to stay on his throne and leave us down here to die. But he emptied himself, voluntary language, by taking on the form of the servant. Did that willfully. To fulfill the will of the Father, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. No one takes it from me. I lay it down by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't skip over the, th- the, the so that in there. Why did Jesus have to be a servant? Why did he have to come? Why did he have to die? So that his name would be exalted. The father's grand plan, sending the son, laying down his life, was to exalt the son. He sent the son so the son would be exalted. And so all the nations, sheep of another fold, would worship him. This is the grand plan of salvation laid for us in a Great analogy of I am the good shepherd that is many times just relegated to children's stories. Jesus is a shepherd. He walks around with a lamb on his, on, his, on his shoulders. Isn't that nice? Case closed. If you read this and this I lay down my life, I lay down my life does not jump out at you. And it does not get you to think about the whole purpose of the father sending the son 
And if it does not exalt Christ in your heart, you are missing the point. And I don't want you to miss the point. Verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Again, voluntary language. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up. This charge I received from my father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. That authority was first manifested in being in, in taking on flesh. But its pinnacle on earth is the authority to lay down my life and to take it back up for your behalf. For the sake of sinners. Never, ever forget that he rose again. He must, ra- he must be risen again to new life so that we can be risen to new life. He must take his life back up if we have any chance for life. And we can never make the voluntary death of Christ only about the wicked deeds of men. And this is a problem that, that Hollywood loves to say, oh, well, it, it's all the Jews' fault. Jews had plenty of blame to go around. But this is the plan of the Father. And by this, we are redeemed and Christ gets the most glory. And this is never comfortable for the world when they hear this. Look at the response here. Verse 19, there is again division among the Jews because of these words. Jesus' words never bring unity and healing. They don't. There is always, when Jesus speaks, his words will make people hate him. The only time there is unity and comfort to Jesus' words is among the sheep. Because they know that he lays down their life for him, for, for them. But those who hate him say he's a demon. In a sense, he's crazy. This guy's lost his mind. But Jesus, you have to respond to Jesus. There is no middle ground. You must either come to him as a sheep or say he is a demon. And I will go down with with the demons because I hate him. And if you had any doubts that this was still in context of the man healed of his blindness and the Pharisees were not still close by, look at verse 21. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind of the blind? This is still in the same context. So how do we conclude here? A couple simple questions, one response. I don't know. Are you among the sheep? Do your ears prick up when you hear the master's voice? When you hear of the son's love for you, that he came to lay down his life for you, does your heart break over your own sin? And does it rejoice at the sacrifice of the good shepherd? The shepherd laid down his life so that we might have life and have it abundantly. So what is my charge for you? Lay down your life. Lay down everything that you are holding to. Your pride, your, your, your careers, your, your cares, your fears, your anxieties, your stubbornness. Lay it down. So you can rest in the fold in the green pastures of the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what else to say. You came to lay down your life for us, to be our shepherd. Because you are our shepherd, 
because you are Lord, our Savior. Help us to rest in you. Give you all the glory, all the praise as our fount of every blessing. And when we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, bring us home. Correct us when we need it, Lord. Direct us when we need it. Lord, I pray for this city. I pray for your people who are out there, your sheep who have not come home yet, that you would use us to be ministers of this reconciliation. I pray for those here who are sheep who have not come home yet, that their ears would prick up for the first time, their heart would stir, knowing that a shepherd would come and die for them. And we see the kingdom increased here in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.